I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. My name is Elon Jacobson, and deal-making is in my DNA. I'll be here each week talking with entrepreneurs and deal-makers about the crazy obstacles they've faced along their paths, and whether it's nature or nurture driving their success. Expect the unexpected on a deal-maker's DNA. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of A Dealmaker's DNA. I have a, a really special guest, Jamie Opelchuk. Jamie is the uh, founder and CEO of Host Papa. He has been in the industry for over 30 years. And Host Papa is a company that he founded in 2007. And it is Canada's largest independent web hosting and uh, cloud service provider, employing over 250 people and having over 200,000 SMB clients. So, Jamie, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, thanks for the uh, invite, Elan. And you're reminding me that it's been 30 years and that's it's difficult, <laughs> difficult sometimes. But yeah, thank you very much. I, I, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> you know, I, I look back and, you know, firepower has been 12 years and it's like, where did the time go? Where did those 12 years wow. go? Exactly. It's yeah. wild. So, 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 Jamie, start off just giving people a bit of a background on, on Host Papa and why you started it originally and, and what your goals are. Sure, sure. Uh, listen, I've been a serial entrepreneur since I was a kid pretty opportunistic, a little bit of ambition coming from small town Hamilton, Ontario. And uh, Host Papa started as a spinoff. We were actually, it's a funny story, Elan, because it was, uh, I had a couple other businesses and decided to solve my time constraints, I would start another business. <laughs> and, and it certainly ended up being a, a very uh, a business that consumed a lot of my time. But we, we saw an opportunity that small, medium businesses at the time were finding it very difficult to get into the digital world and online and, and uh, placements on the internet. So we, we decided that, uh, you know, it was a good opportunity at the time. And we started small uh, here in Canada. And then we uh, localized our websites and started to launch properties around the world, all based here in Canada. But, you know, we, we now service four different languages. Uh, have 18 different localized properties. And this is prior to, you know, other larger guys like GoDaddy and others um, in, in, in doing an international flair. So that's where it all started. It's been a, it's been a ride since. Yeah, absolutely. So take me back. You, you mentioned that you, you're from Hamilton. What was the early life like? You know, did, did, were you genetically born as this entrepreneur? Is that, you know, were your parents entrepreneurs? Give, give, me, give me some flavor for what, for that. Well, like a lot of others from Hamilton. My dad was a steel worker. We come from lower income, not much money. Being a pretty ambitious kid, I was an entrepreneur pretty young. And I don't know if you ever heard, it seems like a similar story, but my true first entrepreneurial experience was a lemonade stand. You know, they, they were paving my street in my hometown. And I saw that truck going by once a day and I saw the guys were very thirsty. So I asked my mom, you know, could she make me some uh, lemonade and I'd go sell it outside for 25 cents. And I did. And then my friend, Darren, who was two blocks away said, Hey, he went to his mom. Can I sell uh, lemonade? And she said, no. So then I went to my mother and said, Hey, can I, uh, can I sell this to Darren for 15 cents? And so I created my first franchise <laughs> when I was, when I was seven years old. So that's kind of where it all began. You know? And, um, and uh, you know, of course you go through the trials and tribulations of, of growing up and, you got to create your own opportunity. And that was the one thing I learned was there's a lot of people in the world that, that would think that uh, I grew up as a dreamer, you know, you're, you're thinking too big and uh, you need to, you need to go get a job. 
And I was never one to say that I wanted to settle. Like there was always something that I said, why, well, why? I see this other person doing this. Why, why can't we do that? And it seems like you're pretty much similar, you know, like you see opportunity and, and you say, hey, I can go do that. And it's it's hard because a lot of people, I don't know if it's a comparable thing you land, but they tend to hold you back because of what they're what's in their life. And you got to get beyond that. You got to have belief and self-belief. And I, I and once you get beyond that, and Steve Jobs said that once, is once you believe you can actually do something, your world changes. You know, you, you don't, why are, if other people can do this, why can't I do it? You know, and I think that's one element to people who are looking at ideas and opportunity, go for it. You know, a lot of people have ideas and everyone talks about, you know, wanting to do something on their own or whatever it might be. What, what is it about those that actually do? Is it, do you think that it's something like in their genetic makeup, upbringing, they're both, uh, you know, because it, it's amazing that it's so rare that that an individual actually goes and does what they say they're going to do. I think upbringing is a big thing because if you grow up with people who are risk averse around you, um, as you know, entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur, there's not a lot of people in your back. Like there's the banks aren't behind you. The government's not behind you. You really need to take chance. And, and uh, I think people being risk adverse by nature or growing up risk adverse puts a damper at, at moving forward. What happens if I fail? You know, what, I, I, the bank wants me to put a personal guarantee in my house on the line, you know, to go raise this money. And, the, and they do that here in Canada. There's not a lot of venture capital. There's a lot of money in Canada when you have money, you know? So that, that is, makes it very difficult when you want to get out of your day job. And I think the people who really make a difference today with ideas are usually the ones that start off as just growth hackers and small ideas and they have side gigs. And then they realize, oh man, like I can actually make this work. Now, how you scale that is a different issue, but, but you can make a living if you can get out of this idea that, you know, I need to be on somebody's payroll. Because it's fine, like, and there's nothing wrong with working for other people. I think it's great, but you you do get paid for your time. And I think that the fact the fact you wake up in the day and you you don't have any security and you need to make it for yourself. I think once you've overcome the barrier of oh man, what does that mean? Is 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 a life changing event, right? Yeah. So 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 you mentioned upbringing. Sure. You know, when I think of steelworker Hamilton, that doesn't strike me as the most risk tolerant individual. So, so tell me about, you know, your upbringing and how, you know, you were uh, able to be non risk averse coming from that kind of background. I think you go through a cycle of evolution, you know, certainly getting out of a situation uh, where you're, where, where, when you grow up in a, in an environment where you're kind of pegged to be a certain way, first thing you want to do is, well, what do I need to do to get out of that? I think educating yourself is a big thing and, and exposing yourself to other people and other ways of life then introduces the ability for you to say, man, if I actually commit and put some energy here, I can actually change that game. I can actually get myself out of this situation. And um, certainly growing up in a blue collar town uh, where a unionized town and then turning over and setting up a company and you know, how to raise money or how to hire employees is totally foreign. So you have to, I, I think you have to go through the school of hard knocks a little bit, but obviously putting yourself next to people. And Ian, I needed the same thing. Like we were next to mentors and, you know, people who showed us the way I was telling one of my guys, I think this, this 
is gone. But when I was in my 20s and growing up and working uh, you know, for companies, I learned everything in the bar at six o'clock at night. Like I went out with the old guys, you know, and they told me this is the way it is. So you learn the craft and the trade from people who have done it before. I actually think we're missing that a little bit today. That's how I think you and I learned, right? Like from the, from the others, you, uh, am I wrong? I think, no, you know, it's, it sucks for people that are really smart and believe that they're very capable. And, and I had to come to this realization as a, as a younger kind of entrepreneur that there is no substitution for experience. It doesn't exactly. matter how smart you are there. You, you got to go through it. And uh, I, I agree like that, that the face to face and being around people and, and just that, 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 that water cooler talk that we're now losing from, you know, from COVID, Absolutely. I think it's going to have a meaningful impact on building the next generation of leaders and uh, executives and entrepreneurs. Oh, 100%. I think the, ins- the fact that we're dealing primarily remotely insulated uh, expectations are high on you know, results, and especially if you're in the corporate environment. And if you're not out continually educating yourself and just being around somebody in an office and, and you know, getting a different perspective, Elaine, like that's been really difficult because everything just seems so contrived and timed and, you know, scheduled, right? Where you're losing this insight. And, you know, and I think that growing up, that's really how, uh, you know, how things were back then was we, we were together, we were collaborating, we were comparing ideas, good and bad experiences. And today it's more, you know, uh, KPIs and OKRs. Mm. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Like yeah. I believe I believe in the systems, but then there's the nuances of just dealing with people. And yeah. Human interactions are not, you can't boil them down to KPIs. That's it. That's it. And, and, and great companies are built on people and ideas and vision and then execution, 100%. right? So yeah, I, I, I miss those days. You know, they're long gone. But, you know, I, I bring it up now and everybody's like, no, I'm going to the gym. I'm going to the gym at five and I don't want to go out for drinks. And I'm like, yeah, I get it, you know, but read books, you know, continue educating yourself, be curious, you know, and, and good things will happen. Sure. So, so we have the lemonade stand at seven and then we have 2007 starting of host Papa. There's a big gap in between. So how, how do we get from lemonade stand to host Papa? Uh, trials and tribulations, you know, we're, um, Educating myself, certainly. Uh, I still went to formal education and got, you know, uh, an undergraduate degree and an MBA. And I went into the MBA with some some experiences, uh, started in the, the, the beer industry, uh, you know, in marketing. And then that, that transition transitioned into high tech. So started to pick up the trade just in terms of high tech and, you know, what it, uh, on the marketing side of things, how to market products, how to get distribution, how to create channels. Um, which is pre-digital marketing. And then, you know, I started getting into personally into digital marketing. Uh, I was one of the first Google AdWords guys, you know, uh, when AdWords was beta, started learning that craft, which led into other areas of online marketing, which then applied to the companies that I founded. So, you know, it's, it's, it's an evolution. So you go through a series of events, not all successes, had some successes and some failures and learn from the failures and apply them, right? So, so talk to me about failure. You've mentioned failure twice. And I think that people do two things. They romanticize failure or they, you know, they, they look upon it very, very negatively. But I think that the truth is somewhere in in, in the middle. How do you view failure? Well, I think failure is a combination of, 
of events that you did yourself that you would like to take back or learn from. And the other one is maybe you and I and others have had opportunities where we let them pass by. And then, you know, you can either say, oh man, I should have worked for that guy. And that guy's a billion dollar company now, or I should have invested in that company or whatever. Instead of just looking at that as a negative, how do you turn that into a positive and say, oh, what did I learn from that event? What did I learn from the fact that that didn't work out the, the way I did? Was it the fact I didn't build a team? Was I didn't have the right goals? I didn't execute on the timelines. I didn't have enough working capital. Was I not focused enough? And all those quote, quote unquote, Elan failures then turn into the next time I do something, I'm going to learn from that and be better. And I think that's what, if anything, that's what entrepreneurs do. Most successful entrepreneurs I know have had failures in the past, almost all of them, right? An idea that didn't turn out, a partnership that didn't work, a marketplace that, you, that never materialized. So each one of those is, okay, the next time I, I'm going to get back up at the plate, what am I gonna, how am I going to use that information to do it better? That's, yeah. fa- that's fair to me. So I don't look at it negatively. I think it's, I'm still a glass half full kind of person, yeah. right? How do you balance that? Because I totally agree, but I also have this idea in my head that some people do a really good job of convincing them that, that failure is totally okay. And I think that to be successful, you kind of have to not accept failure. I understand that, that it's a possibility, but like, don't allow it to be an option. Well, first, I don't, it's not fun to fail. <laughs> you know, like, I think you have to learn that those events happened. And if you're taking other people's money as investors, friends, family, other people, you know, you are using capital of other people to, to, to try and further your own ideas as an example of failure. So what are you going to do about that the next time? Like, are, are you, are you going to go back to the same people with a new idea? Can you, can you overcome it? And there's people still in my life, Elan, from previous failures that I said, you know, I owe you one, you know, like, let's come back to it and I'll, I'll, I'll do good. I'll make good. And I hope that's happened, you know, but I don't think that you could go back. You're going to find it hard to sleep at night if you're always worried about things that didn't work out well in your life. Totally. You got to get back on the saddle and move forward. Right. And I don't think that is just related to business. I think that also has to do with other areas of your life. I've tried to find it where I don't live in the past. I want to, I want to learn from that experience. Be a, and in business, I want to be a student from, I think we both are students from other people, you know, like learning from, well, why did that work for that person? Um, and how do I apply it to myself? So a lot of that can, comes with what I said in the past, continual education. You know, you need to be curious and, and move things forward. And I think you should do that with all areas of your life. You mentioned earlier that it's one thing to kind of start a business. It's a whole different ballgame to scale a business. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that, that concept of scaling. You know, I, I don't think people fully understand that, you know, you build one widget and now you say, okay, in order to build that one widget, now I can just build a hundred. It ain't that easy. It doesn't mm-hmm. just work like that. No. So tell me about your experiences with scaling, what you've learned about it, what you wish other people would know about how difficult it is. I think the difficulty is it's human factor, right? So when you're totally when, it's your, yeah. when it's yourself, as you know, Elan, when it's just you, you can wake up in the morning and it, and if you're a freelancer or you're in the gig economy, whether you're an Uber driver or you're doing something on Fiverr, your effort and energy is whatever you want to make of it. So you're in control of your own destiny. 
Now, then you go to the level two, which is, you know, we've got a small team, usually close people, friends, family, coworkers, guys I worked with in the past. You meet around the lunch table and you're driving a business, right? So it's now you guys that are that are doing it. And usually companies can get the, to that level and people can make a good living. Now, when it starts to get difficult is when you start to employ people. Now, you those that small team that you had around the, the lunch table now have people reporting to them. And then to go to another level, as soon as you have managers and managers upon managers, entrepreneurs tend to want to control and have things as it were in the past. I want to sign off on every invoice. I want everything coming through my desk. You need my opinion. And the best people who scale businesses realize that delegation, empowerment, getting a great team of people that are entrusted is how you scale a business. Now, to do that, it's difficult because you need to get to the point where you've got enough capital, enough scale. The idea actually, because in, in technology, we have this evolution you know, of, of uh, events that happen very fast life cycles of technology that happen really quick. So you you need like-minded people that can play their respective roles and responsibilities. And there are differences with people who, um, while you're scaling a business, there are managers or leaders. And then there's people who are, we call them stars. These are people who are rock stars at their respective role and they're really good, but they don't really want to manage people. So the quicker you can get in and find those people. And as a CEO, that's I have to be the chief recruiter. You know, that's that's kind of my job is find the talent and bring them in and, and show them the opportunity. I think that's probably the most difficult part of, of scaling a business and avoiding things like groupthink, water cooler talk, you know, all the things that take a business down and why most businesses never get past, you know, 5 million, 10 million of revenue, right? Because they can't scale beyond that um, because you get involved in, all the human elements of a business. Does that make sense? Totally. And how do you think the, the concept of culture intersects with this idea? I think culture is an evolving thing in a business. It's an ebb and flow. I think if you have a very uh, negative or uh, a culture with a lot of bureaucracy in an innovative company, it's a quick path to death, you know, because things again happen so fast. How you create culture Again, it's a long-term thing. It's it's ever-changing. It's difficult, and I think a lot of the new companies are finding that. Uh, Elan, these are the ones that are that are the high growth, raising a lot of venture capital, private equity money, usually a lot of high-priced talent. And one of the things that they find d- difficult is creating a culture that of of innovation and success to go fast. You know, or as Bezos says, fail fast. You know, like I think you have to get to the point where. You've identified what your core competencies and culture are, and 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 once again, let people be empowered to succeed, and put spot checks in, like we talked earlier, like KPIs and OKRs. But at the end of the day, how you empower people and give them the tools. Another thing, as CEO, our responsibility is get out of the way. You know, like talk talk to people about their respective roles and responsibility. Get, um, and when you meet with them in your cadence, whether it's weekly or monthly or daily, depending on the job role, your, your job is to give the resources and try to remove the barriers and obstacles. And I think culture is difficult where you want to find leaders in your business that are thinking similarly rather than about their own personal interests or you know their own direction. It has to be in sync. And what I found is, and trust me, this is an ever-evolving thing, 
but interdepartments are usually where things fail too. You just start getting you start getting fiefdoms, you know, within your business, or the communication between the fiefdoms isn't good, and it's like, oh, I didn't know you were working on that, and you saw that early on with even a company like Tesla when they were having production problems, you know, surprises in events, uh, materials not showing up when they should have, and I, th- I believe they've done an, an incredible job of getting that in alignment to move it forward so that they can have more predictability. And I think culture starts with that premise of like putting those actions together to, to have the ship continually moving forward and try to remove the barriers of success. I, I also think culture is a, is a learned behavior. And we spoke earlier about this idea that, you know, learning from others, and, you know, let's just call it mentorship, is, is crucial to success. You touched on this idea of stars within, within an organization. I, I've always struggled with this, with, with, with how to scale mentorship within one's company. What can you do to ensure that, you know, you and those around you that are other leaders act as mentors and not only bosses to you know, the younger generation so that they can learn the right behavior and, uh, you know, be able to emulate and be able to, you know, garner the value from those experiences. Well, I think it's the first, it's the perspective of how you want to be a leader in the business and how you want to be perceived. You have to uh, approach it really in a way, how can I help this person rather than, than be over top and overbearing and manage? And I think that if you, if your goal is to make or help this person be successful in their career. And I've always said, Elan, like my job is to find my replacement, find or find people around me that can teach me something. You know, like bring value to the point where I'm learning from them because they're obviously in their respective world doing well. So as a person that is mentoring and what we try to tell our leaders in the business is bring those people and bring the tools very similarly. Let them come to you with their, I always say, you know, there's always problems in a business, but have them bring their ideas and their solutions and show them some guidance and let them make the decisions right? Good or bad, let them learn, right? Because then you can go back, even if it is uh, economically uh, costly, at least what we're doing is showcasing that you're you're bringing and elevating a person up. And then that's done through very subtle techniques of, of you know, regular cadence and mentoring uh, principles where, you know, it's very, it, you know, it's difficult to explain because some of it is, is, is really just practical application. But I think that you got to go through it and say, you know, if you're bringing talented people within you, if you're hiring A, A grade players, they should be coming to you with their ideas and their vision, and you're providing guidance. As soon as we can get to that point, and I think we win. And if, if, if we're spending our day going through tasks, task lists and checklists, in today's environment, you're not going to have people that are going to stay with you. If that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And I think most leaders have a bias towards those that lead like them. One of the things that I've learned is that there's a lot of successful leaders that don't lead like me, right? And it's not just one size fits all. How can one do a better job of identifying the fact that, you know, this person might be a great leader, but just doesn't look like you? You know, do you think that's just a learned, you know, experience-based problem? Or or are there practical ways of figuring out who would be great leaders within an organization? 
Well, much like a family, I don't think you want everybody to be clones and thinking the way you do. I think that's a starting point. Like, you know, you want people to bring their own ideas and, you know, people being so different and having different views of the world, different cultures. And that, to speak of our business, that's one great thing we have is, you know, we went to a distributed environment pre-COVID and we've got people in 38 countries, I believe, the last I, I saw. So to bring these to, to bear, you have to understand that, you know, people are coming from different parts of the world and have an openness to actually allow them to bring their views in and massage it. I don't think that there's one application, Elan, that you can use towards that. I think you just have to recognize that if you're looking for talent and people have the chops, you know, let them experience it, let them ride, and then just keep, try to keep what their vision is on the rails right, of, of their respective job. You mentioned this idea of you being naturally curious, which I think is one of the foundations of, of, of good, good entrepreneurs. And then you've spoken a few times about this, this concept of continuous learning. And I think that curiosity leads really well to this, this concept of continuous learning. Can you tell us, like, do you have any habits that have been successful for you as it relates to this continuous learning and being open to new ideas and ensuring that you don't get stale? Like, do you, do you, do you read a book every month? Like, is there, is there certain things that you kind of religiously do to ensure that you are continuously learning? Obviously, try to overcome the bad habits. And when I was younger, I had procrastination. When I was in school, procrastination was a habit. And I think I've, I think I've overcome that. On the good side, it's with, with the curiosity of continual education. Um, I tend to spend the, the beginning hours of the day, you know, uh, when I get in front of the computer is when I read, is when I either listen to a podcast like yours, or uh, I, I, I go to an ebook, or I look at uh, today's current events. And I usually end the day that way too. You know, what happened today? Because I try to get, I try not during the day to um, focus on, you know, I focus on the business um, objectives that I'm dealing with in that particular day and have meetings during the day with, with, with people. And I think that you have to create those habits, whatever works for you. Like uh, if working out is, is, is good for you at 5.30 in the morning and it gives you the energy, then put a habit towards it, you know? And we don't have to get into what it takes to make a habit. But I, I believe that if, if you spend uh, zero energy at educating yourself in your respective business, you're gonna cap out because the world's changing too fast in our world of technology, you know, we weren't talking uh, 10 years ago about advertising on social media networks, remarketing, retargeting. I mean, in our world, it changes so fast, Elan, right? That I, I, and I, not to speak about our world only, but I believe in every world, you know, uh, in, in your world of capital, the capital of 10 years ago is completely different than today, you know? And so how do you learn about it? Well, you better surround yourself with, with either the people who know it or if you want to talk intelligently, you got to keep reading and, and growing as a person. And I think that putting that into a, a, a habit where you're going to take some personal time to, to put forward will only grow in spades for you, right, as a, as a person within business. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And, and you, know, you mentioned this, this idea of routine. You know, you start the day, you end the day. I'm a massive believer that routine is important for success because... I think that if things are too random, you waste a lot of energy and time. You know, would you agree with that? That that routine oh, is super important. A hundred percent. I think I'm self-proclaimed. I know that I have a little bit of 
ADHD and a little bit OCD too in me that we didn't really diagnose when we were younger. I think a lot of entrepreneurs. Well, I'm ADHD beyond belief. <laughs> there you go. But but we harness it, right? So yeah, absolutely. One negative I get is if my wife says it, but if I get on a subject, I go deep into the obsessed. Yeah, obsessed too yeah. deep. So mm -hmm. I have to kind of pull myself away sometimes from that. And I think that, you know, if you put yourself in a rhythm and routine, especially if you have what we have, which is easily distracted, routines and rhythms allow us to focus, right? For sure. Yeah. Otherwise, we're like, oh, yeah. I got an email. Oh, you know, so-and-so's calling. Yeah. And uh, oftentimes I pull myself back in because I would imagine, Elan, like yourself, you're pretty good at multitasking, right? Because you can, you know? So because of that, I think if you put yourself in a regular rhythm and routine, you're going to have great success in life, right? And especially if you set goals to that. And minute goals, like, I mean, in order to grow a business, if you want to set monetary goals for yourself, start small, you know, set these little objectives so that you can see that you're always progressing forward, right? Otherwise, it's like, oh, I'm never going to do that. It's too far away. And that's another thing that I've learned with businesses is, you know, small steps lead into big marches, right? Yeah. You know, on this concept of future, before I let you go, what does the future of Host Papa look like? Well, that's a great question. It comes back to goals and objectives, I think. Listen, we're focused right now at delivering the cloud and small businesses are finding it, even though that you see great companies, Canadian companies like Shopify, Squarespace, Wix. The one issue that, that a lot of companies are suffering from, speaking of ADHD, is there's a lot of uh, products out there that can help them be productive and grow their business. And they're all disparate, Elan. They're all not connected to each other. Whether it's a CRM or I want to get, you know, uh, email up, my website online, I want to sell product. And the fundamental aspect of each one of those is we have data within these businesses. And our goal is to get these data connected together so that they all work together. So if I, if I get a lead from a website and I want to get into my email marketing system, it just works. So we're building a platform right now that will, uh, it is a game changer because it will allow people to have all these disparate systems. And our goal really uh, is that the, the people who are starting businesses, what we talked about, the freelancers, the people who want to scale are on an even playing field with the big guys that are already at scale, right? So they can use these tools to help them empower and grow and make it easy because it's really difficult. And that's, that's really what we're focused on. Uh, we're also quite active in mergers and acquisitions and growing that way and uh, scaling our business uh, to that regard. So uh, we don't really have an end game to that, but that's kind of what our, our short term, you know, our pillars are in our business is, is uh, do that and service our customers to, to the best we can. Like the infinite game, as Simon Sinek says. That's it. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for your time. And before I let you go, you know, for those that would like to take a closer look at Host Papa or follow along in your journey, what would be the best way they could do that? Go to our website here in Canada. It's www. I guess you don't say that anymore. <laughs> hostpapa.ca, hostpapa right? Yeah. It's all good, Elan. It's a pleasure to see you too. That's it for this week. If you enjoyed what you heard, rate us and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time on a DealMaker's DNA, where you can expect the unexpected.